12, and uh, if you do not have one, there may be one under the row in front of you. You can grab one to follow along this morning, graduation Sunday, uh, and uh, what, a, what a day to celebrate. The culmination of a 14-year journey, if you're including pre-K and K, uh, that's, uh, that's about as long as I've been preaching through Hebrews, you know what I mean? So uh, just really excited to come this morning, and congratulations to all four of them, to, to Brooke, and uh, to Morgan, to Trey, and to Tanner, and we'll celebrate them at the end as well, and they recognize them, uh, but just really excited for them, and uh, congrats to their moms, who has finished their degrees for them, because, you know, senioritis has set in, and uh, definitely thankful for them to be able to finish strong, uh, but, you know, as we think about it, uh, the good news is, this is not the ending point for you. This is really the launching point. This is the point to where you are getting out to your own decisions and making your own life, and you're going to be launched out into the real world. You're going to talk about careers. You're going to talk about families, decisions. You're going to get bills and bills and more bills, all right? Uh, I'll be excited to hand off a few more of those. And, uh, but that's exactly, as you think about where we're at in Hebrews, we're almost to the end, but it's not the end. It's a launching point. Hebrews chapter 12 is something that exhorts encourages and pushes us forward it never ceases to amaze me how God works out all the details I had no clue when we started Hebrews that we'd be on this passage of scriptures uh, today and I know God doesn't make mistakes I know his word works it always does it goes forth and uh, for us as uh, coming together as a church and for these graduates I know this is exactly what God wants you to hear from his word this morning and so if we get a little context before we dig in Hebrews was written by an unknown writer. It's one of the very few Bible, uh, books of the Bible that the writer is unknown. The earthly writer is unknown, but of course we know the heavenly author is God, and we know what a treasure Hebrews is. Uh, it is. It is something that exhorts us, it challenges us, it encourages us, it, it warns us, it teaches us about salvation, it teaches us about the Old Testament. If you ever really want a synopsis of the Old Testament, read Hebrews. Uh, talks about the new covenant, talks about the Holy Spirit, and most of all, talks about Jesus. Talks about his nature, talks about his work, talks about his, his saving power. And, and what we must do at the conclusion of this book and the conclusion of your life as well is come to the understanding that nothing is greater than Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. And I hope through this series and even by the end of this message, you will realize in your life that Jesus is worthy to be pursued with everything you have. And you pursue him by faith. We, 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 we by faith, uh, it, we are empowered by faith to follow Jesus. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just want, you know, it's just not a want to. It, faith is a principle. It's an action. It is we believe by faith and we walk by faith. You say, well, what is faith? Faith is real. Faith is concrete. It's not mental gymnastics or a hope so or I, I wish. It is a bedrock for your soul. It's when you get to the deepest parts of your life, there's something solid that you can call on God and know that he exists and know that there is evidence that he has worked in your life and other people's life and you can act on it because you know he exists. It's deep in your heart. God is real. And he has a real purpose for your life and a real will for your life. Every one of the seniors today, uh, they, and everyone as well, we must know this, that God has a purpose and plan for your life. And we must by, walk by faith to fulfill that plan. That's the key. You say, well, I agree, Pastor Ted, but 
I, I know God has a plan and a purpose, but how do I live that out? How would I live that out day by day? And I think at moments like graduations, that these seniors are looking inside and they're saying, God, what do you want to do with my life? What is your calling for my life? What, where are you going to take me? Where am I going to go? I think this happens as well for adults when we get married. A lot of times at a point of marriage, you say, God, now I'm the spiritual leader of my home. What are you going to do for me? Like, what, what, what will do you have for my home and my family? It happens when you have children. Children will change your life because you know now you're entrusted with a living soul to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you ask yourself, God, what is it? What is it that I need to be doing with my life? And for the graduates, it's a realization that you're setting your own path in life. And you've got to take what you've learned and put it to work in your life by faith. And not only uh, just the graduates, but everyone does, you know. Everyone looks to them and begins to ask the questions. What are you going to do with your life? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do? And I know the graduates over the last few months, I'm sure you've heard this time and time and time again and on and on and on. But the good news is the Bible, give ans Bible gives answers, real answers, answers that you can have that pursue God's purpose and plan for your life, and it never expires. I don't care if you're a graduate, or I don't care if you're the oldest one in the room, from, or anywhere in between, we know that God has called you, He has a plan for your life, and we got to live it out by faith. And for us, as older, time-challenged people, as I like to say, it's a great reminder for us to see how we are in our walk with God. And for those who are younger, it's a great question to ask, how am I going to pursue God's will for my life? So Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, we read one, I want to read two for you as well, it says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. First thing I want you to notice is run your race you got to run the race. There is a race to run, and now the writer comes and exhorts us, hey, you are surrounded by all these witnesses. Immediate context is, you know, Moses and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, right? That's what he was telling these Jewish believers. We have talked about how they walked by faith. In our context today, think about your life. Those who have, that God has put grandparents in your life or parents in your life or pastors in your life or friends in your life. And he's saying, those people who's invested in you, those people who's been a witness to you and an example to you, you have an obligation to live this faith out, to live this faith out now. So how many of us is living that faith out? Have you ever heard the phrase, don't ever forget where you come from? You know, for us, so many times we get out into this world and we forget where we come from. We venture out into this world and next thing you know, we let uh, the world begin to conform us into its image. And we forget what, we, what was poured into us. And not only do we not represent God, we don't represent everyone else who's poured into our lives with our families and our grandparents and everyone that's invested in you up to this point. Listen, the world wants you to despise that, but the Bible says embrace that. We got to cherish that. If you had good godly parents, if you have godly grandparents, embrace that and live that out. And what a treasure it is to have a heritage of faith, to gain wisdom and direction, to walk by faith and live it out. And run the race. Run the race. And, and listen, for us in God's kingdom, every generation must pass the torch. And every generation must take the torch and run it, right? Have you ever watched the opening ceremonies for the Olympics? 
I know, thrilling, right? It's really thrilling. But last year, or a couple of years ago, when uh, I was in the hospital, my brother was in the hospital, it's funny, we had the same experience. We couldn't change the channel, and they left it on the Olympics the whole time, all right? And the Olympics was on, and you just went through this process after process after process, and you're like, as first chance you get, it's like, change the channel, right? Please change the channel. Anything but the Olympics. And yet, in, during that process, though, there is a passing of the torch, one runner runs, and they pass the torch to the next runner, to the next runner, to the next runner. And every person hands it off, and every person picks it up. They get to the end, and they light this big, huge torch. That's the challenge of the kingdom of God. You're being handed a torch, and you got to run your race. you got to run the race with your parents and your church and those who have poured into your lives. And you got to get out and run God's race for your life. Don't ever let anyone make you neglect your heritage. And listen, so many of us poured into your life, and it's a great privilege. And you have a race to run. It's not a sprint, but it's a marathon. That's why they said make sure you run with endurance. You have to start it well, and you have to finish it well. Some of us never even get started in the race, right? Some people graduate, and they say, well, when I get married, I'll start the race God has for me. When I have children, then I'll live for the Lord. And they never get on their race don't, don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Get on the race God has for you. And some of you don't finish God's race because you fall out and you give up because you, you sprinted and yet you didn't think about the long run and all of a sudden you don't finish your race. Well, what he's exhorting us here is that God has a race for you to run and you are to do it with endurance. You are to do it from the start and all the way to the last day you take your last breath. And for you and for me as a church, well, how are we running our race? Some of us has procrastinated. Some of us has sit in services like this and know what God wants us to do with our life and we have neglected it and we won't run the race. And some of us has fallen out of the race. We have got to a point to where we don't even serve God anymore or some of us just come to a complete standstill. Let me exhort you, run the race. Run the race. It's not easy. It's not easy. I know it's very difficult. And yet, as you think about the difficulty of it, God gives us some tools. He gives us a strategy. He gives us some training. He gives us some tools that we can use to finish our race or to, to, get, to, to run our race. And, and for us, the writer's going to give us three things. I want to share you just three things that he's going to give us to run your race so you can finish well. One, he says, lay aside every weight. Two, he says, lay aside every sin. And three, look unto Jesus. Those are three. They sound simple, but let me tell you, it will transform your life if you live these out. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every sin and look unto Jesus. So number one, lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us means this is possible. This is a choice you must make. In your life, you're going to realize that you have a will and God has a will. God is going to put things in your life that you have to choose. Am I going to allow this to affect my life or am I going to choose not to do this? And so many times in our, in our own ways, in our own will, we hang on to things that weigh us down. Now, simply, weight just means a burden. It's something that drags us away or influences us away from God. Anything that pulls or connects to you, it says, do not let this weight have power or influence of, over you. It's a choice that you have. You have the ability and the power that God has given you to not allow these weights to pull you away. You know, as like I said, as a burden, you think about it. A burden takes your time, your energy, and your focus away from God. That's what a weight is. And I think it's critical in running the race. If you, if, you, if you try to run the race with weights on, you know what happens, right? 
Today, if you go to the sports store, they got ankle weights, right? I don't know why you'd be running in the first place, but if you were running, they, you could put ankle weights on, right? You could put arm weights on. They even have weighted vests, right? We even have Twinkie weights. They got all sorts of weights there you can wear, right? But listen, you're, you're, you're not running very far if you're weighted down. Let me tell you, if I gave you a 50-pound bag and told you to run the race, what would you immediately do? You would throw it down and say, I can't run with that. But if I handed you five pounds every month until the point you got to 50 pounds, you would slowly realize that the weight begins to pull you down. And without even realizing it, you're weighted down. That's what happens. That's the way burdens work. They attach to our lives and they attach to our hearts and they pull us away from the race that God has us to run. And we must continually lay aside the weight and we must not be burdened down. And say, well, what are some spiritual weights to look out for? And these young people, I'm going to give you a few. Number one is people. People can be a great burden in your life. And I love one quote that hits home every single time. And every time I have a chance to tell young people this, I tell them, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It is so true that the people that you allow to have in your heart or to be in your life, they can influence you from God or they can weigh you away from God. And you don't need to allow, God, allow people to hang on to you that pull you away from God. If you always have to be the one to be the spiritual leader or encouraging others, it begins to pull you away and drag you down. You shouldn't have people in your life that's not on fire for Jesus and doesn't encourage you in your race. Because when they, when they are in your life, you're going to fall into the trap of many others and get pulled away from God because some people that's attached themselves to your life. And you got to sometimes say, no, this is not good for me, and it's weighing me down, and I cannot run my race because someone that's in my heart and life that's dragging me away from God. Second one is discouragement. Everyone gets discouraged. Everyone gets down on themselves. And we all struggle. And literally what discouragement means, just lack of courage. We get in front of our families or we get in front of our the world we get to the open place and public place and we lack courage to do the right thing. And we get discouraged and we get to a point to where we want to give up and we get dragged down and we don't want to allow, we don't want to walk or we don't want to run the race because we're just discouraged. Joshua 1 9 tells us, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not let do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sometimes, like David, you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You got to say, if God is for me, who can be against me, right? You got to pull yourself up and say, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to run this race because when discouragement sets in your life, it ruins everything. It ruins everything that you want to pursue God and it discourages you. So you got people, you got discouragement. Third one is possessions. We just did a whole series through Dave Ramsey and uh, the ones that went through this thing, you know, the story of Dave Ramsey's series. One of the greatest tools of the enemy is debt. Debt begins to weigh you down. You, you know, in our culture, I know this is not popular because it says go get a car and go get a house and go get all these things and keep up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are. Do we have any Joneses here this morning we might be able to keep up with? Most of the time, we don't even like the Joneses anyways, but we, we get burned down because we rack up debit cards and credit cards, and all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're paying payments not on what you owe, but on interest. And you don't even get to your debt. And before you know it, it kills your long-term finances. And you're burdened down to where you can't live out God's will for your life. Or if he called you to do something, you can't do it because you're so burdened down with debt. And possessions will pull you down. It will weight you down. And for you, as graduates, I encourage you, don't be weighted down. If something attaches to your life, get rid of it. 
lay it aside. Have nothing to do with it. Don't, don't let it keep you from running your race. Lay it aside. Second thing says lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us. Sin has become the dirty word in church, right? No one wants to hear about sin anymore. Sin is different than a burden because it has, it has very real consequences, even like the burden, but it's deeper. A sin, it keeps you from running God's race that he has for you. Sin is disobeying God's word and standard. You know, God has a standard. God has a holiness. And like Jamie had said, God's far more worried about your Christ-likeness than he is your comfort, right? And he has this standard, and he wants you to have this righteous standard. And we must keep ourselves from being easily ensnared by sin. The word ensnared there carries the ideal of a deception or craftiness. You know, the devil never comes out to you and says, hey, here, fall into this sin and I'm going to ruin your life, right? He never says, here, take this drug and you'll end up in jail. Or he never says, hey, have this affair and it'll ruin your family and your kids are not going to like you anymore. Your family's going to be ruined. It never says that. Sin always looks great on the outside. It always looks like it's going to, it's all, it's all pleasure and no consequences, right? And a lot of times you go through life and you begin to see this and you see the enemy begins to set that trap. And he's crafty. He's, he, he's a crafty enemy. He sets the trap. And the purpose is to ensnare you. To knock you out of your race. To knock you down so you can't run the race for, that God has for you. Let me tell you, there's only one thing the devil has to plan for you. John 10.10 tells us, The thief does nothing but to come and steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. And sin in your life will steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. It may look good on the outside, but he's crafty, and he'll pull you away. And what you got to do is identify the sin so, which ensnares you. you got to get to it and lay it aside and have nothing to do with it. A lot of times people come to me and say, well, pastor, is this a sin? And I always say, if you're asking the question, it probably is, right? And a lot of people say, well, I'm not actually sinning, but if that leads up to a sin, you shouldn't have anything to do with it either, right? Because all the, way down the, all the way down the path, don't mess around with it. Don't fall for the trap. Don't let it ensnare you. I can tell you testimony after testimony of Christians who've been knocked off their course because of sin. Something crafty has come into their life and ensnared them. And what you'll learn is sin and fellowship with God doesn't go together. Never has and it never will. We, we never will be sinless as a Christian, but we should be pursuing to be sinless in our life. Like we should not be on the process of pursuing sin, but pursuing Christ. And when we do sin, we got to lay it aside so it doesn't ensnare us and pull us away. And you'll never be in right fellowship with God while you're pursuing sin. You never will. And we run and we will run our race. And yet you cannot run your race well if you're pursuing sin in your life. Another phrase or a quote that I heard when I was a young person, I never forget. Sin will take you further than you want to go keep you there longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Think about it in your life. Sin will take you further than you want to go. At first, it's just one step, and the next thing you know, before you know it, you're further than you ever thought you'd go before. You're saying, how in the world did I ever get to this point? And then it will keep you longer than you want to stay. You don't ever turn away from it, and then it costs you more than you're willing to pay. Lot in the Old Testament, when he looked towards Sodom, he never imagined he would lose his whole family. But he did because he looked and he did not push away the sin. He was ensnared by sin. Lots of temptations in the world. 
Lots of things that will pull you away, but they all have a price to pay, every single one of them. And the question is, is it worth it? It's not worth it. 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the sin, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Lust of the flesh, if it feels good, do it. You're going to hear a lot of people tell you that, seniors. If it feels good, do it. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what your family says. They're not around. Nobody's watching. If it feels good, do it. Lust of the eyes. If it looks good, do it, right? Look at it. It's, it's nothing to it. You, you, you can do it. The pride of life. You deserve it. Go ahead. You can have your sin, and you can serve God too. But that's not the, that's not the message of the Bible. Truett Cathy. He was the late founder of Chick-fil-A. Everybody like Chick-fil-A? I bet I get an amen out of that one, right? Chick-fil-A. One thing we don't, I went and watched him at a, at a men's ministry. And he taught a Sunday school class every single Sunday in his local church in Georgia. It was a youth Sunday school class. It was those middle schoolers and high schoolers. And he wanted to impact them. And he impacted so many lives that almost every week, there would be those who would come back to his class and give a testimony about how great they had succeeded in life because of the things they learned in their Sunday school class and that he had poured into their life and they talked about their careers, they talked about their families, they talked about living for the Lord. Well, one day, Truett Cathy said he was in a restaurant in town there and there was a man on the street and he said, Truett Cathy, and he said, yes. And he goes, do you remember me? And he says, no, I don't. And he goes, I used to be in your Sunday school class. I was in your youth Sunday school class. True, Kathy asked him, well, what happened to you? Because his hair was all disheveled. He looked like he was homeless and he reeked of alcohol and drugs. And the guy told him, he says, well, I became an alcoholic. I became a drug addict and I've been in and out of jail and I've stole from my parents and I don't work. And I just ask people for money. And basically, I did everything opposite of what you told me the Bible said to do in my life. And Truett Kathy said, well, that's great. But I'll tell you what, I want you to give a testimony in my class. I'll give you $100 to come to my class. And the man was shocked. He's like, what in the world would you want me to come give a testimony for? And so he brought him into the class. And sure enough, there was the man. He was reeked of alcohol and he was on drugs and all that. And he got up before the kids and he was telling about how, he, uh, how his life was wrecked. And basically, he did, everything that, he did everything opposite of what he learned in Sunday school. And after the man left, Mr. Kathy stood up and he said, we always have good examples come in and tell you about what happens when you follow the Lord. I wanted you to see what happens when you don't follow the Lord. This is a good testimony for you and for me that there are real consequences to sin. And if you, don't, if you don't live your life out and you don't pursue Jesus and you don't lay aside the sin, it's going to knock you down and take you out. And sometimes it knocks us out of the race. You say, well, how do we lay aside sin? Let me give you four things. One, confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Sin will happen in your life. We are not perfect. I've already told you that. But when sin happens, there must be something that happens in your heart. We must confess it, and we must repent it, repent from it. Confession is agreeing to, with God that you are wrong. Confession is not letting God in on a secret, right? A lot of people think, well, if I don't tell God, he won't know, right? So I'm just not going to tell him. But listen, confession is not telling God any information. It's agreeing with God that you have sinned. And you'll be stirred in your soul and you'll be convicted in your heart. And the Bible says, don't hide it, don't ignore it, but confess it. Come before the Lord and say, I'm wrong and I agree with you that I'm wrong. I didn't get to mention this earlier, but my wife this week, it's her birthday today, as a matter of fact. Can you believe that? It's her birthday today. 
I know you're wondering how she ended up with me, but she did, all right? And then also, this week is our 23rd anniversary, right? Our, mar- our wedding anniversary. So 23 years, it's always easy for me. We got married in 2000, so I just go from 2000 all the way up to 23. <laughs> but after 23 years of marriage, when we first got married, I learned a great lesson in marriage. The lesson that I learned was confession. Like when we got in an argument, I knew, she knew I was wrong and I knew I was wrong. I thought that was all right, right? And I'll say, are you okay? And she'd say, fine. Another lesson for you, men. When she says fine, she's not fine, all right? That's code language for run, all right? Because it's, it's not fine. But the point being is she wanted to hear me say I was wrong. That's what apology is. That's what confession is. I was wrong, and I sinned against you, or I uh, you know, hurt your feelings. I was wrong. That's what we got to do to God. We got to come to God and say, I agree with your righteous standard that I was wrong. And as you say you were wrong, then you repent. You turn away from it. You don't do it anymore. You get it out of your life. You don't continue in sin. You desire to turn from it. That's what you do. You confess and you repent. Second thing is you stay in God's word. Each and every week we quote our Bible pledge because it comes right out of Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And as a young person... There is nothing better you will do than to stay in God's word in your life. The more that you know God's word, the more you study it. And I would encourage every single one of you to have a personal quiet time. It's not good enough just to come to church and hear it. It's not good enough just to hear it when your parents tell you. You got to get it for yourself and dig into God's word. And yet another great, great quote, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from your sin. It's a great scripture. I mean, a great quote. And for Psalm 119.11, we have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And you got to get God's word in your heart. That's what we believe here in church. That's why when your children come to church and youth come to church, and even no matter how old you are, we want to teach God's word. It's not my opinions. It's not my political stances. It's not what I think about this world. It's God's word that changes you. And it is God's word that will bring you through, that, through, your, through your walk with Christ. And you got to stay in God's word. Third got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, Then I say, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Every single day you get up, you got to say, Lord, fill me full of your Holy Spirit. God, before my feet hit the ground, I want to be full of your Holy Spirit today. Let my eyes see what you want me to see. Let my ears hear what you want me to see. Let my hands do your will today. God, fill me full of your Spirit. And if you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God, you got to be emptied first, right? You can't, fill, you can't fill a full glass, so God, empty me of my flesh and fill me full of your spirit. So you gotta, you gotta, you got to go and be full of God's word. you got to confess and repent. you got to be walking in the spirit. And last one is Christian accountability. Jamie mentioned this. You know why so many of our young people are in trouble? Because they stop being accountable to one another. They don't stay in church. They don't stay connected with their families. They don't stay connected with their parents. And what the world tells you is they are, they are wrong for teaching you the things of God's word and the principles of the Bible, and you got to go your own way. That's exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we need to find Christian accountability. We need to stay in church. We need to stay connected to other Christians. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we already studied this verse. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as, the day you, as, the, as you see the day approaching. Do not forsake the gathering or the assembling of ourselves together. 
Let me encourage you, even though you're not in your home anymore with your family, or maybe you move off to school, find a church, find a group of believers, find other Christians because you need to stay accountable. Obviously, when I got married, Aaron became my Christian accountability partner. But before I was married, I had two guys that poured into my life. And we would hold each other accountable. And we stayed in church. And we read God's word. And we stayed uh, praying for God to bring our godly spouses. And all three of us married Christian women and, got, and have, a, have a, 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 a marriage and families because we stayed accountable with one another. Let me encourage you to stay accountable with one another. And that's the way you keep sin from uh, latching onto your life. And easily ensnaring you. Confess, repent, stay in God's word, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, find a Christian accountability. Last one, number three, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who's the author and finisher of your faith? You. No, Jesus is, right? I mean, listen, we can have victory because of Jesus. Jesus has already run the race, and all we have to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the greatest of all time. He took on flesh. He ran the perfect race. He died on a cross and shed his blood for you and for me. He was resurrected, and he went back on high. And now he says, trust in me and keep your eyes on me. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He sat down at the right-hand throne of God, meaning that his work was finished. That we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Jesus has won the victory in our lives over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus, that's the way we must do victory, not in ourselves, but victory in Jesus. I love where he says, I am the author and finisher of our faith. If you want to start well and finish well, keep your eyes on Jesus. And what's the exhortation? Look unto him. Everything you do. So many times we miss this because we get our eyes off Jesus. We, we, we must set our eyes on Jesus in our marriage. We must set our eyes on Jesus in our parenting. We must set our eyes on Jesus in your career, in your school. He will lead you. He will guide you. And he will bring you to victory. No matter what you do, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going you're gonna to have victory. Because he will finish what he started. And like, like Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? There's nothing that can stop you when you keep your eyes on Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing that can keep you from running your race with God. No matter how difficult it gets, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus in your finances. Keep your eyes on Jesus in, in the good times, in the bad times. Keep your eyes on Jesus at all times. Paul also says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish what he started in you. That's the confidence we have. So like I said, when you set out on this journey, it's not how much you have of God, it's how much does God have of you. You're not holding on to God, God's holding on to you. And as you walk by faith, you can walk this life and you keep your eyes on Jesus and he will use you in great and mighty ways. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Peter walking on the water. Some of you know the story, Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. And so he went, up to the multitude, he went up to the mountain to pray, and in the midst of the night, the, the storms come. And the storms begin to shake their boat, and which is kind of surprising when people think about it. If they were in God's will, why was there storms, right? I would not do you justice if I told you as a young person, if you follow Jesus, you never have storms in your life, because that's not true. You're going to have storms. You're going to have trials. 
You're going to have times when it shakes your boat to the core, and you're going to be so scared and afraid. But yet, in the fourth watch of the night, just like these disciples, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when they saw this, the disciples looked at him, and, they, and immediately Jesus, uh, Peter looked at him and said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you and walk on the water, right? I want to walk out there to where you are. And Peter uh, answered him and said, Lord, I, I want to come to you. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. Think about that. We talked about this last week with the fiery furnace. They threw three men in, but there was a fourth man walking in the fire, right? It's not about the storms. It's not about the trials. It's not about how bad your life can be. It's how you keep your eyes on God. And he will be there for you in the storms, in the, in the fiery furnace. And he kept his eyes on him. And yet, here's the, here's the second part of it. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. When he got his eyes off of Jesus, what happened to him? He sunk like a rock. And he went straight to the bottom. And he shouted out, Lord, save me. So keep your eyes on Jesus. You'll walk on water. Keep your eyes off Jesus. What's going to happen to you? You're going to sink like a rock, right? I want a great exhortation for you and for me. And Jesus looked at Peter and he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt what I had, this plan and purpose I have for your life? I told you from the beginning, if you look at the story, he tells them, you're going to go to the other side. That's what he told them. And in the midst of that, for you as seniors, for you as people who serve God, keep your eyes on Jesus and you're going to go to the other side. It's going to happen. Get your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to begin to sink. It always happens that way. You're going to go through a lot of things in your life. So much ahead for you as seniors. But let me exhort you to run your race. Run your race for God. Don't let this world define how you run your race. You run your race. And you lay aside the weights that pull you down. You lay aside the sin that easily ensnares you. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you do that, you're going to do great things for God. He will be the author and finisher of your faith. Let me exhort you one more time. Go run your race and he will see you through it all. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Father, we do come before you, Lord. God, I do pray. As we begin to think about our hearts and our lives this morning, God, Lord, I pray for somebody who might be here, and they say, you know what? I've never got on that race because I don't know Jesus. Now, what a great morning to come to know Jesus Christ. As we think about the future, as we think about the life of these seniors, even in your life, you have a future. And if God brought you here this morning, you have breath, he can save your soul. And this morning, maybe you realize, I haven't been walking my path for Jesus. And this morning, you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's the most important thing you can do, is by faith, believe on the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning, you have done that, but you're not walking, that, you're not walking by faith the, the path that God has for you. Maybe someone's attached to, to your life that's pulling you away. Or maybe some sin has easily ensnared you. Or maybe... You're just stumbling and, and kind of come to a standstill in your life. Man, I pray this morning that you won't be discouraged, that you'll get your eyes up, that you'll look to Jesus this morning. As you leave this place, you'll say, God, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to keep on my path because I know you have a plan for me, and you will finish what you started in my life. Maybe it's a husband. They're thinking about their wife or a wife that's thinking about their husband. They've been praying for him, wanting him to change and wanting their families to be different. And yet they're about to throw in the towel, but this morning they say, you know what, I'm not going to be discouraged because I'm going to keep taking one more step. I'm going to keep going because I know Jesus can, can take care of that. Maybe with a child, so many of us wrestle with children who go astray. And maybe today's the day that God will quicken their hearts 
bring them back to the Lord. And this morning, you can see God work in their heart and their life and pray for them and say, God, put them back on the race. Put them back on your path this morning, Lord. As we come to your time of, uh, of just invitation and your time of commitment, Lord, I pray that as we uh, look to our own hearts this morning, Lord, we're going to play a song. As I play this song, I just encourage you right where you sit. If you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you say, Lord, here's my heart. I want you to do a work in my heart this morning that, that will change me. And I want to see you. And I want to run my race this morning. And I want to do it with courage. I pray that you will just seek 